What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, to celebrate the 100th episode of the Rewatchables podcast, Quentin Tarantino returns for the third and final movie in his three-part series with us. In the final episode, Bill Simmons and Sean Fennessy discuss with Quentin one of his favorite movies, the 1990 crime thriller King of New York. Make sure to check out this special episode and follow at the Rewatchables on Twitter for highlights of all 100 episodes. All right, welcome to this week's episode of the J.J. Reddick podcast with Tommy Alter. Some explanation is needed. I feel like maybe I didn't do a great job of explaining this last week, but um, the the show will be called the J.J. Reddick podcast with Tommy Alter, and Tommy will be co-hosing for the foreseeable future. Don't get fired. This is his his test run. (laughs) This is his test run. Second and last show. Uh, well, actually, Tommy and I uh, did, of course, a few mailbag episodes and have become friends over the last couple of years. You know, as in season especially, it's really hard to play three or four games a week and prep for a podcast. Um, so Tommy's Tommy's going to help me along the way. And this is going to be a lot I'm of fun. seeing eye dog. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we have a, a great show for you today. Awesome Minhaj and Malcolm Gladwell are going to be the guests. We're going to have a great kind of free-flowing conversation with them. We're here at Hassan's uh, studio here in New York City in Hell's Kitchen. We have a, some power rankings, board on the road, and potentially, I don't know, maybe a book club. All right, all right. Let's get, let's get into it. You're in New York City. Yes. Correct. What have you been doing? Well, since our last podcast which we we recorded in la uh i had to go to sacramento right after that second night of a back-to-back we, by the way we can't make fun of sacramento on this episode because, because Hassan is from sacramento. yeah Hassan's from so we can he uh, just get pissed and he'll so i i wouldn't i first of all i have no ill will towards any nba city but you're you're in a you're in a city for just a few hours and I, i've talked about this on the podcast before but it's very difficult for me to sleep after games and I feel like my two years in Philly between the travel on the New Jersey Turnpike and just in general not being able to sleep after games, I didn't do a great job of sleeping. So this year, I went back to what I had done before in L.A., which is I take a, a small little, I would call it a sedative. It's subscribed sleeping pill, whatever you want to say. But the problem with it is it runs on like a six-hour, six-and-a-half-hour cycle. So when I took it after the game Friday, after the Lakers how game often, Friday, how late just after games, like literally you get off the court and you just, no, 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 no. It's like 30 <laughs> minutes. It it's like one of those things where you take it and you're like, when is this going to kick in? When is this going to yeah. kick in? When is this going to kick in? And then all of a sudden it's morning. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no like, oh, I'm kind of feeling drowsy. No, it just kind of like puts yeah. you out, but it, it runs on like a six hour sort of window. So I, when I got in late, you know, into Sacramento, took it about two o'clock, and then I'm like wide awake at eight oh five, and we have nothing that day until the bus at five thirty. So, what do you do in Sacramento? What day of the week was this? Is a Saturday in downtown Sacramento. So, what did you do? Well, I actually I went for a little walk, but I just walked around and I randomly ran into Trajan Langdon, who is our GM, and 
We had a great breakfast and you caught guys, up. Do you yeah. guys have fans that travel on the road who are like in the hotel? Do we have fans like like Pelican diehards? Yeah. <laughs> no, because this is like this is like the funny thing. I feel like the difference between pro sports to a certain extent and college is if you were playing uh, a big yeah. game, if you were playing a big game. You're the alums would a, come. Not even necessarily a big game. If you're just playing a game somewhere, odds are there'd be some Duke fans who would th- stake yeah, out what hotel th- you're in and just not, not necessarily weird, yeah. but they would be there. There'd be like a presence. Well, there are people at the hotel every city. It doesn't matter. Rain, snow, 4 a.m., 4 p.m. There's there. the autograph seekers that, yeah. that stand outside the arena. I There's been a couple times for sure, like you're in the elevator and you're you're going down to the game and there's like somebody in Sixers gear or somebody yeah. in Clippers gear and they're like, I'm like, they're not in our traveling party, are they? Just and they're there. like, no, they're just like, but we're here for the game. We flew in makes, from Minnesota. We're excited to it see you makes guys. Sense. It's like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to be like, I really need to see a Pelicans game in Sacramento. And you're you're going to stay at the Four Seasons. There, you might as well stay at the, place <laughs> no, the, at the team, team hotel, for and sure. Just don't be weird. For sure. Fine. I forget, it was a couple of years ago, that guy that went to all the Knicks games, he like blew all of his money. It was like a t- one of the terrible Knicks teams. And he decided, he, I don't know what, it seemed like he had some other shit going on in his life that caused him to do this. But for whatever reason, he decided- Oh, yeah, this was he, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. He was literally going to travel, not with the team, because the team didn't acknowledge right. him, but go to every single game. And he probably blew, I don't know, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 doing it. And the team was just horrible. You just met him the other night, I think, Ben, for the yeah. first time. So Ben Winston, who's been on the podcast before, a few times, actually. Um, I think there was a period of time in his adult life where he went to every Arsenal game, home and away, for a period of two years, three years, whatever it may be. It's so insane. these things still happen. It's insane. The, the home game is fine. The home game is the Jack Nicholson. That's whatever. Yeah. You know, you build it. Although you, he only goes now. In. I didn't realize he only he goes every, like, he went the other night for the first oh, time. Oh, really? I, I oddly I saw it. it on my Apple News feed, and apparently he hadn't been there since October. It's still a big thing when he walks in. Yeah, for sure. Wait, was he at your game or he was at a one afterwards? He was at one of the ones afterwards. I would have. I would have. Yeah. That's a that's a good. Yeah. Uh, it's like Spike doesn't come to the Knicks games. Jack Nicholson acknowledged me in game two of the NBA Finals in 2009 as I was coming back to the bench during a timeout. And it was one of the high points of my life. <laughs> that's pretty good. Was there anyone? Did you see anyone at the Laker game the other night? Adam Levine. I oh, saw him. You're a doppelganger? <laughs> I wouldn't call another, it that. Brother from another mother? Uh, I talked to him at halftime for a few minutes, but yeah, I saw him. The, yeah. the crowd is uh, the crowd's lit up. They're, well, they should be. They're, the they're is, an amazing team. It's an amazing team. And it's amazing how I, – I, I don't want to ramble on too much about basketball right now, but it's amazing how smart LeBron James is. Like, it's, it's always impressive. Really? Every time yeah. – I mean, I watch him all the time, but you play against him and you – firsthand on the court you get to read his eyes and what he's thinking he's so smart it's he also, sees everything this will be the last thing on this on that game but anthony davis is averaging a, 45 no, against but, us. but even just even you know every every player that plays in the nba is a physical freak to a certain extent yeah. to do what you do but he is at another to somebody be that size two, to do what he does two of those dunks were insane were insane insane for sure a couple of nba things yeah before we get out here. so all-star voting started yeah uh, Shout Luka out. and Giannis were leading. They just the news just broke today that yeah. LeBron passed them. But but so it's the three of them. Are you surprised that not at LeBron, but at the other two being at the top? No, LeBron? not at all. Uh, especially given just the international nature of the game right now, the popularity of those guys, 
They're on good teams. Caruso, Alex Caruso, and Taco Fall still being in the top 10 is, is, (laughs) it's funny. Like, it's funny. Ha ha. It's funny. I'm not saying it's not funny. It's a little worrisome. Caruso is the other cool thing that I love. You know, the other thing that I love, and this, I like Derek Rose is third in all star voting for guards in the East right now. And I love that. Number one, because he's having a great season. But number two, I love that he's that popular. Yeah. Like I, you, you, you sometimes people, forget right? how popular, Yeah, like when he was the MVP, like he was. Oh, he was, he was, he was one of the biggest stars in the world of any sport. It's amazing. And obviously the international thing comes into play, but you look at this and you're like, okay, Milwaukee's best players leading the all-star voting. So like, it doesn't seem like this is a market thing. Like if you're good, you're Bro, good. Bro, Dwight Howard led the entire NBA one of the years I was with him in fan voting. Yeah. He was Voted in as the center every year, and we were in Orlando, which is, is one of ever, the smallest. Has there markets. been a recent example of someone who's actually been screwed because they've been in a small market? It's just like a myth. Depends on how Greg Monroe feels about his time in Milwaukee. I don't know. Did he feel like no, he should he be an all star? <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's, this is just the. No, I don't know. Like uh, Westbrook and Durant played in OKC and like, got it. Th- there's no such. Yeah. The NBA is a market. Well, you could also there's obviously ancillary be- benefits of playing in a New York or yeah. playing in LA or Chicago or whatever. But by and large, like if you're in the league, you're you're in the league. You could also make the argument that in some of these places, the fans, because there's less to do, so to speak, they will rally around the players more and they will vote more than you know. I think I think this is a thing in LA right now. For example, speaking of LA and and Kawhi, PG, and and obviously LeBron and Davis are all at the top of the voting and are all going to probably make the team. I think PG will. He started late. Yeah, but I think with the with the latter two in particular. You know, and I see this going to Clipper games, and you know this from playing there. These are two of the best players in the world. I mean, this is Kawhi's a guy that has an argument to be the best player in the league, and they're kind of a weird afterthought right now. I'm not saying they will be by the end of the season right. because they can definitely win the whole thing, but there's just a lot going on, and LA is a weird city in that way. And so, if you know, if that same team exists in Salt Lake City, I'm not sure that they're going to be an afterthought. Very true. Narrative plays a huge part in this, for sure. For sure. I also think, and this is like, back to your point about the small market, like it's such a star-driven league that fans will always rally around stars. Yeah. They will always rally around stars. Do you think that um, if you're a player putting up huge numbers on a shit team, that should hurt you? In a way, yes. And if you're specifically getting at Trey Young, is that where you're going with I mean, this? there's a few examples of this. There's right always now. a few examples. Yeah, Trey, but Trey's at the top of the voting. No, I, I do a, think, like, you have to look at each case individually. Like, yeah. for, for example, like, if a guy's been a five-time All-Star and he's doing what he's done the, the last five seasons winning, and the yeah. team isn't whizzing, like, you have to give that guy the benefit of the doubt. I do think, like, for any sort of young player, up-and-coming player, for that first one, a lot of times you are rewarded when your team has success, at least from you know my my memory, at least. Yeah. Let's get to the rankings. Okay. So to preface this, you have to say why we're doing this because this is you've been wanting to do this. I know. I wanted to do this power ranking for the first episode. I am just a huge Christopher Nolan fan. And recently, well, the day it came out, I saw uh, the trailer for Tenet. Which coming is coming on July. Yeah, starring John David Washington, Robert Pat- Pat- Pattinson, and a host of other people that uh, are in every single Christopher Nolan movie, like Michael Caine. Uh, so 
in honor of that trailer, we're going to do our five favorite Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah. Um, we're going to have some overlays. We're going to get through this as quickly as possible. I'm going to roll through mine first. You go quick, first, and, then and then I'll, gonna we'll get compare notes. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Five, Dunkirk. Four, Dark Knight Rises. Three, Insomnia. Two, Memento, which is kind of crazy. And one, Dark Knight. So You wanted to do it, and we're going to have to oh ruffle God. some feathers. <laughs> I thought this was going to take very little time because I thought we'd have – Basically the same list, but we don't. You look I, the fact that you have you the Dark Knight Rises is one of instead the of five what, instead of, instead best. Of Interstellar? I oh didn't like Interstellar. God. I fell asleep. Oh my gosh. The got, best part of Interstellar is the music. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. I thought Dunkirk the first time I saw it was terrible. I love Dunkirk the first time I saw it. Okay, well, now it's Clearly. now it's number four I, on Knight. my list. So wait, go through yours. <laughs> All right, so my list basically, and how do you, you cannot, I'm just going to say this. This is a fact. This is not subjective at all. You cannot have a top five Christopher Nolan list and not have the prestige on it. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, I haven't seen it's the his prestige. Most complete I haven't movie. Seen the prestige. It's his most complete That's movie. That's fine. So I'm going to watch the prestige. I can't, I can't, <laughs> right? like, I literally can't make this argument because I haven't seen the movie. Okay. But I All will right, say fine. that I can have it without seeing, without having Interstellar on it because Interstellar is not a bad movie, but it's not one of his best movies. Well, Okay, let's get let's get All into right, it. All right, so number five for me is Prestige. I had to put it in there. So um, after all this, it's your fifth. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's his most complete. I didn't say Oh, my was, God, you can't have a list. I didn't say it was if my person. don't put the Prestige on, it's number five. Well, okay, I wanted to right. put it four. Keep going. Okay, keep going. Keep Dunkirk going. is four. Uh, Dark Knight is three. And then two and one are two movies that you left out, which were Inception and Interstellar, oh and I will sing <laughs> the praises of Interstellar wait a second, wait for the a rest of my wait life. Wait a second, wait a second. For the rest wait of my second. life. So you're giving me shit about not having the prestige on there, and you don't put <laughs> Memento, which is like, I think Memento is like a, like number 21. Had, on I gone, had I gone first, I would have said Memento deserves an honorable mention. However, you can only watch that movie once. Memento is a one-of-one one film. Memento is a thing that like and that it's hurts an, it. It's an experience. Book, Memento, Memento is an experience. I could watch Interstellar and Inception. It's once interesting a week. about Inception. Inception is very controversial. Yeah. So my dad called it faux intellect or pseudo intellect. Yeah. I think that's what he called it. Yeah, um, it's not for everybody. I didn't. Yeah. I was. I'm sort of ambivalent. A, on it. it can be. I a, would like to watch it again. It's a, a little bit of a mind once. bender. I thought the. I mean, the action sequences are all pretty fabulous. So we're going to Tenet on opening on the I'm on Thursday at twelve oh one July seventeenth. Let's, let's see if we're and let's see July seventeenth. I'm in there. I pick Fulton Street. Yeah, I will see you there. Let's do some. We send in some suggestions, listeners, of other directors to do. I oh, I would do. love to do that. Yeah, and also send to T Alter at T Alter on Instagram. Are you the same on on uh, Twitter? Yeah, yes at T Alter. Send all the hate tweets. <laughs> And, and hate comments. <laughs> this is a disaster. About Interstellar <laughs> about and Inception. And how, said everything you're pissed off. I cannot JJ believe. I, re, I watched The Dark Knight Rises the other day. It was on. Really it was after a game. I couldn't sleep. Well, Tom Hardy. Tom, it's so bad. It's Tom, so bad. Tom, and that's coming from someone that loves Christopher Nolan not, movies. It's so bad. It's not so bad. It's so bad. It is not. Where was Dark Knight on your list? Three. Because I would say that Dark Knight, the Dark Knight is... Obviously, it was a massive movie, and so I'm not exactly going on a limb saying this. The Dark Knight is up there for me with Remember the Titans. There's like three or four movies that when it's on, casinos like this, when it's on, you watch it. Love so and seen, Basketball. 
used to be Hoosiers. <laughs> Not anymore. People love the your Hoosiers take. That was a apparently I they, ruined Hoosiers they love for the, a lot of people. They love the Hoosiers take and they hated the Step Brothers take because Step Brothers is not a bad movie. Are we going to do a book club? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I have a book. Okay, what's your book? I, we want if we're going to do a book club, we want We want to make suggestions for books for you guys to read. Yes, but also we should read along yes. with our listeners. All right, I'm, I'll like. I'll do mine now and then you do next episode. Great. It's called American Kingpin. Mm. It's by a great journalist, Nick Bilton, who also wrote a great book about Twitter. It is about a guy named Ross Ulbricht who started the Silk Road. You know the Silk Road? You know that story? Yeah, it's like the drug dealing cartel on the dark web. Yeah, so basically he's one of the guys that sort of created the dark web. And the dark web, you could buy everything from every kind of drug imaginable to by the end, you're buying hand grenades and rocket launchers and everything like that. And everything was just getting shipped to your house. And so the book is... A, about how he started it, and he basically started it in a coffee shop in San Francisco. And then it gets into the guys chasing him down. It took him a long time to get caught, but it's a super kind of gripping narrative about the chase for this guy. You can sort of see him shifting as the thing grows larger into somebody that he's not at the beginning, and he starts doing some pretty crazy stuff. And I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but it's good. All right, we're going to get to our guests. Before we get to our guests, just a little background. If you don't know these guys, uh, Malcolm Gladwell is a journalist. He's a best-selling author. I believe he has five books that have made the New York Times bestseller list. His newest book, Talking to Strangers, is out. And he also has a very successful podcast called Revisionist History. And then our second guest is uh, Asan Minhaj. He hosts The Patriot Act on Netflix, which is in its fifth season, I believe. Yeah, very uh, popular one, Peabody Emmy winning yeah. award show. That's the thing. These guys, I, they've won Peabody's, they've won Emmys. Yep. They both they have been of, sold millions named, of books. They both have been named uh, to 100. the Time 100 list. Yeah, and then there's us. And then there's us. <laughs> but like, it's so intimidating to be in a room with two people that smart. Right? Yes. <laughs> no, they're very, they're, they're well, down to earth. But if we had a really good time, we didn't um, ask a single question, to be yes, honest. We had a really good time, <laughs> and I think you guys are going to like it. We'll do it again. All right. Let's get to our guests. Hassan, uh, Malcolm, Tommy, and I thank you guys for coming on. Yeah. The crew. Uh, very excited. This is. Uh, it's amazing you guys have never met. No, we've never yeah. we've never formally met. We we've spoken on the phone once though. Oh, well, I did. Actually, oh, we guys, should set the scene a little. Should bit we here. set the scene? Yeah, sure. We're, we're in New York City. We're yes. Upper West Side right now. Hell's Kitchen, yeah. Upper Hell's West Kitchen, Kitchen. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, we're Patriot at Act your studios. studio. Yeah, this is our studio. studio. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, for context, we played the Bulls at home last night. Flew to New York, and we're playing in the Garden tomorrow. I I I have to ask one question. So, uh, in my life right now part of my role on the Pelicans is to be this mentor. And as I get closer to the end of my career and I think about what I'm going to take with me, uh, it's relationships and sort of the people that have mentored me and hopefully the people that I get to mentor and and they go on to have sort of long and lasting careers. So just a question for both of you guys, but you know, who were sort of the mentors that had a huge impact on you? I don't think of, I don't think I had mentors. I had peers who were much more important, people going through the same things that I was going through, but maybe half a step ahead or yeah. with a perspective I didn't have. You're talking about like your, your, your class, so to speak. Yeah. So my, the most important person in terms of my, the two people in terms of my career development were my best friend in high school, 
who was the smartest, continues to be the smartest person I ever knew. And then this guy, Jacob, who's my business partner now, who I met when I was 22 years old and who is the reason I'm in journalism. He just, and it wasn't, so it was never. What's the science fun. behind meeting a Jacob? Because I firmly believe finding the Jacobs of your life, those are the game changers. It was totally the game changers. I don't think I have a Jacob. You never had life. a Jacob, like a friend or a coach who, while you were in Roanoke, you were in Virginia, who was like, hey, work out with me junior year. And you saw like a significant. I had a Ryan. Yeah. Like somebody who was like, yeah. you're yeah. at this level, yeah. but us together. I'll take I got you. you. I got you. So like, yeah. that's what Prashant is for me on this show. Who's the co-creator and head writer on this show. Yeah. Without him, there's just a, there's really a cap to my ability. Yeah. And the way we accent and complement each other, my ability to communicate, like just the raw emotion of what I feel the story is and his ability to just be a all out nerd about it. Those two things are important. You have to have like the head and the heart behind the show. Yeah. But that's luck. Like I met him 12 years ago. and Total luck. Yeah. I, I also wonder about the, the thing about mentors are useful and useless in exactly the same respect, which is they're useful because they have a lot more experience than you and they've been through a lot more. But they're also useless because their experience is necessarily going to be different from yours. And all they can give you, all they can tell you is about the way things were and not the way things are going to be. So sure. you, you feel like wisdom can't be passed on from an I OG? I've I, I just never been that impressed by... So if Stephen King get, tells you, you want you have another 30 books in you. We talk about being prolific. Yeah. So you got what, like five, six right now, right? Yeah, but see, see, and Stephen you want King's another... a perfect example of this. Stephen King Stephen is Stephen King wouldn't drop you a jewel? He, he, can't, he can't give you any advice because he's in, on a different planet. He's like, <laughs> it's like, it would be like me going to ask, you know... Uh, LeBron. Oh, is that the th go. is that the whole thing when people like my friends, like my friends that I went to high school with, or they'll send me a YouTube video to be like, "What LeBron eats in a day?" And I'm like, "Really? You're a paralegal." Yeah, yeah. No, and but you want to know what <laughs> LeBron? But James this is also the yeah, one basketball eats in a day. The one basketball connection is, is this is why, for the most part, and there are a few exceptions, the best players are not necessarily good coaches because they can't. Yeah. They don't know how to pass on what, what right. they've but, done. But you know what, Mal? I, I think, well, I'll disagree with you a little I, bit. I'm just going to disagree a little bit too. Yeah. But the, the, I would say there is stuff that I could pass on. The players that are receptive, mm -hmm. or let's say a coworker that's receptive to, to my version of wisdom, then has to make it, has to be smart enough and intelligent and emotionally intelligent enough to then make it their own. Mm -hmm. And there is some impact there. Yeah. And I, I can say from my own experience, I'm not saying what I've passed on, but what I've received and made my own has been extremely beneficial to me. And I wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for a guy like, let's say, Richard Lewis. I wouldn't yeah. have had it. He mentored you. Yes. I'll give you two examples. So I kind of agree with what you're saying, where sometimes the hard advice itself yeah. may not be it, like the, the note, but the note may be in just you getting to observe them. Like just to see how a great person moves. Being around John Stewart changed my life. Like yeah. Watching him move in the me news media landscape, which is disgusting, ethically, honestly, and be funny and have a ton of heart mm -hmm. and like be able to raise a family and be able to tap out to Hollywood. Like Hollywood didn't beat him. He said, I'm done. And mm -hmm. for me to just have, Spike Lee seats to all of that, just to witness it right there in the office. He didn't give me a ton of hard notes, but just a lot of the things I observed helped shape decisions I, I make even today on the yeah. show. I guess I would make a, a little bit of there's that. There's an important distinction here between, between um, technique 
and and, th- and those kinds of lessons and a separate set of things about your your um, particular creativity or craft. So to, to use comedy as an example, as you know, the things when you listen today to a comic of 20 years ago or 25 yeah. years ago, some of it's funny and some of it's like- well, Not, it's, it didn't age well, not, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can't, you can't look at, you can't say George, I'm going to be like George Carlin because George Carlin's humor doesn't work in 2020 in the same way it did in- Sure. But you can- abstract some yeah. broader lessons about how to conduct yourself in the world from people like, from people like what generation. But even Carlin, yeah, there's a couple things you can extract. Yeah, but sure. In the same case with you, if I was a an 18-year-old playing for the Pelicans, I would be very interested in, um, you know, in having you teach me how to improve my outside shot, right? That's a constant. That's, that's not, we're not going to shoot JJ, that's the one thing I've never understood. How you have like, there's so many freak athletes in the NBA that cannot shoot. And I'm saying this as a weekend warrior. Like I didn't go far in life in basketball at all. Like I'm just, I'm all about butt slaps and high fives at 24 hour fitness, but I've been that like my whole life. But being like picking up a jumper is the most, is the, yeah, I'll never be able to dunk, yeah. but like being able to shoot, there's, there were summers where I was better because I was just yeah. doing more of it. And I've never understood why certain players were never able to pick up a jumper, which is like the easiest skill to pick up versus like being incredibly fast or explosive. Not that it's not the easiest. I don't mean it like that, but it's, it's a, it's a tangible thing. Why is that? Uh, I think mental, I think that's the, it's the hardest thing, right? Cause you, the mental aspect, yeah, the of, mental aspect of shooting. Right. But do, do young players come to you and explicitly ask you like for form advice? How do I sometimes. shoot like you? Sometimes. And does it work? Sometimes. Can you teach them? I, I believe in shooting coaches. Yeah, I, I, w- I wish more guys would come to me for shooting advice. I, I it's happened a few times. We have a rookie now, Nikhil Alexander Walker, who I love, and he basically just does whatever I do, and it's amazing. <laughs> no, it really is. Like, have you seen his? Like, I try. Sometimes shoot. I'm trying to do shit on my own. Like, I want to go work on my game. And he's like, "Hey, man." Can I come in the morning with you? And I'm like, yeah, man. Why not? Tag along. Let's wait, go. How, wait, how well is he Do you like that or does that annoy you? Well, he, so he's, he, no, I, I don't want to put it on camera. I don't no, want to put it on, no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> we, I had a guy last year in Philly, Landry Shamet, who was the same way. He just like, know. yeah. Um, it's, so he has been in and out of the lineup. Um, he played, had a great game last night. He he had a great game, 11 points, six, six assists, four rebounds. First time he'd played in a few games, like meaningful minutes. Um, he's going to be a stud. He's going to be a stud. But do you- Has nothing to do with me. He's going to be a stud though. But no, no, but can you watch him on the court and can you see those bits of his game that he's got from you? Um, In terms of, uh, I he's a different player than me. Yeah. And I actually- he said something to the media the other day just about watching me and my preparation day to day and how that doesn't change based on the result. So whether we win, lose, whether I shoot one for 10 or nine for 10, mm-hmm. my preparation is the same. And he's like, I'm going to do that. That was my epiphany with a guy like Richard Lewis. Like I just watched him be diligent and work day to day to day to day. And I said, oh, that works for him. You know, that that's going to work for me too. And that's not an obvious, but, that is not an obvious intuitive thing for most basketball players. No. Why is it hard? There's just too much stuff going on. Yeah. There's too many people in your ear. There's not enough time in the day probably for some guys. 
They got Fortnite to go to. That's so sad. They got to worry about getting a fit off for pregame. That makes me so sad. This makes me deeply sad. I have, this is an issue. I really believe this. I think there's more. Like prof- this yeah, makes me profoundly this is, There's sad. more guys concerned with getting a pregame fit on Instagram than they are worrying about the win and loss of a basketball game. Yeah. I am a, I I stand by that. That's statement. genuinely concerning. It's very concerning to me. Wait, and if you, what is it? What are the principle? Like, if you looked at how much, for example, time you spend practicing, and you compared that to uh, the kind of average in the league, how much are you? Is it? Are you spending substantially more time working on your shot, or is it just how you? I think it's efficiency. efficiency so yeah. going back to what we were talking about earlier about you know mentors and sort of what yeah impact they've had on me. So I, Steve Nash, I think going into his last year in LA with the Lakers was building a house in Manhattan beach. We happened to be neighbors while he was renting a place near me. And I saw him one day and I said, Hey, can we grab coffee before I go back to Austin for the summer? He said so yes we, to a coffee. Yeah. He said yes to a man, coffee. Man, People don't say yes to a coffee. <laughs> oh man. It was great. Well, I asked for a beer, but he was like, nah, I got to go to a soccer game. So I was like, all right, yeah, that's fine. Coffee's fine. I'll do coffee. Uh, and, uh, but anyways, one of the things he said to me, I was asking him, I was getting ready to turn 30 and I said to him, Hey, you're one of the few guys that just got better in their thirties. And you know, what did you do? What did you change? How did you train? Did you do anything differently? And the one thing he said was, I just shot less, but I shot harder. Meaning every movement, every, every rep was at game speed and it was highly efficient. Mm-hmm. And that's how I've trained on the court. So it's like, I don't think I work more or less than maybe, I may be above average, but not more or less than anyone, but it's just, it's, it's highly efficient. Yeah. And it's work. And then I've had my best career or my best years in my, in, yeah. in my career had been in my thirties. That's awesome that your yeah. best years have been in your thirties. That's like super awesome. It's crazy. It's crazy that more people, more young also, players Also, it's so ask. cool. Like, just like the way you're talking. It's really cool because wisdom is one of the few skills you 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 can only acquire it with time, and so like just your ability to be like, okay, I've closed these doors. That's just not a thing I even explore. Like getting a fit off for the gram, <laughs> that door is closed. Yeah, like you trying to be the, when I was twenty, you trying to be like the white Nick, Nick Young. Yeah, like yeah. you trying to get your yeah, swaggy yeah, pee yeah. on that. Like that door yeah, is like closed. closed. But for you to yeah. be like, but to not see that as a as a weakness right. for it to be like, no, 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 but I've doubled down on these doors, which are yeah. like far more yeah. important to me, I think is like the key. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You ever been given a piece of advice that was one sentence that changed everything? No, although I, there's, is, this is, is, this is sort of a weird answer, but you know, there's a, uh, it dates me back in the day when Jesse Jackson was running for president, he had this speech, which I heard when I was very young, in which the you know he would always have choruses in his speech, and the chorus was. Um, You're talking about when he would say thing something and then repeat it. Well, it would be like the the yeah have a yeah it was yes. a it was a refrain. A yeah. It's a better uh-huh. mantra. Yeah. And the mantra of this particular speech was he was talking about poor people in America, and he was his whole point was they actually work harder than everyone else because at the time the whole notion was the poor were lazy, and the refrain was they go to work every day, and his whole point was the dignity that comes from that kind of persistence in the face of what you're talking about actually earlier. Um, uh, and for some reason that stuck in my head, I was whatever I was 14. And I, I would listen, I would listen to him like on the radio giving this, it was this campaign speech. We gave him many times and I would hear him and he would, he would come to that moment. He would go, they go to work every, and I, I, that is, 
I've looked ever since that I always looked around and tried to identify people for whom that was. My dad, for example, was someone I realized for whom that was the center of his. He was someone who went to work every day. He was a professor, math professor, but he treated himself. He he got sat at his desk at nine o'clock and did not rise until he was going to have lunch with my mother. And then he went, sat in his desk and rose again at three o'clock. No phone calls, no doodling, no did that every single day. No Twitter. That same never on Twitter. No, no Twitter. <laughs> like, that, but that I you know, that was a huge kind of and he wasn't trying to get a fit off or anything. No fit off. <laughs> I came later. I always had this fantasy where I get to dress like a professor uh-huh. with like the V neck and then the tweed blazer over uh-huh. top. Did you did you ever patches. did you ever want to be a teacher like get, go into academics and stuff like that and teach? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Wait, maybe you should start getting the professor fit off <laughs> in the, yeah, the nice. walk in. Everyone else is the next the next patches to the next ABC. JJ Reddick looking tenured. Yeah, the next the next ABC Sunday game just the. Uh, not lifestyles. I can't do the lifestyle. What about coaching your kids, a, though? Right? Would yeah, you for sure. Your, yeah, that's awesome. For sure. That's my so cool. my five year old all of a sudden has started to like really get into basketball, and I'm a little worried because I don't necessarily want him to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just why is that? I don't know. Just like the you don't pressure. Want to of, you don't want to go in your dad's business. Yeah, I just, but there's so many current players that are in dad's business. That's like true. Thompson, that's staff. True. Wait, how many of them though are not as good as their father? That's irrelevant. See, no, you're asking the crucial. You're asking the point. It's way easier. It's fine if you're better. It's not fine if you're a if like if you're a a pale version of your father. That's hard. If you're if you're Steph and you're you're actually better, that's fine. Yeah, that makes sense. Or Clay, but it does feel like I don't think that's a. It does feel like basketball. The the wise position. It does feel like basketball more than other more than other sports you love. Like think about a sport. They used to say say this about boxing. Like there are no really no examples of a super successful boxer whose father was also a really successful boxer because Muhammad Ali's daughter is the only one. Well, that's the only. But it's a yeah. But like basically, part of it's dad was not a successful boxer. No, and part of it part of it is because the mentality you have to have to be a successful boxer is you have to grow up with sort of poverty and anguish and anger. And it's like, if you grow up with money and you're living in Malibu or whatever, it's really hard to like, it's not just a physical thing. It's a mental thing. Yeah. Basketball seems like one of the few sports where, I mean, we're talking about Steph, but like even the newer generation, like Greg Anthony's kid is going to be in the draft next year. And he's going to be like a top three pick. Yeah. Like there's all kinds of, it's just kind of a luck Everybody's of the draw. Got like a personal coach now at the age of like 12. Or right. Right. Which yeah. Is crazy. Training with yeah. like Tyler hero has had a coach. Since he was like twelve, that's crazy. Yeah, Wait, was, got, was like, his was his father a professional I athlete? No, I think so. I think he was like a maybe in Europe or something. He played somewhere, but okay, not in the yeah. not. But I can imagine JJ when you were twelve, you because we're the same age. You weren't practicing the way I was when I was twelve. Like, let's go to. <laughs> no, you asked me this on my podcast. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I had a key to the the gym. Gym, okay. And that I was before school, yeah. and I'd go shoot. That was his ten thousand hours. You guys nice. know by myself. Yeah, nice. the, the janitor would come in. Sometimes yeah. he'd rebound for me, but other than that, it was just me by myself. Wait, who's an example of an NBA player who's not as good as their father? Uh, an active NBA player. Active NBA player. Oh, man, I don't want to say this because he's a good player, but Tim Hardaway, right? His dad. Yeah, Gary Payton's kid. That's hard. That Those guys are in a tough yeah. position. But you know what? At least they made it. But it's like, yeah, yeah you're in the league. Like, it's kind of a cool I mean, as you say that, getting back to the Jordan thing for a second, Jeffrey and Marcus are both like great sort of successful guys. Yeah. But like 
that's really tough. It's like your dad's Michael Jordan. It's like almost, I think Jeffrey's even talked about this and he's not particularly tall. I think he's only six feet or six one or something like that. You almost like don't want to play basketball. You're you just, should, your, you father, your father, your father, do something else because yeah. you just, investment banking. That's yeah. what those guys should do. <laughs> you bet your capital. <laughs> uh, we were just talking about random NBA players, by the way. Yeah. And I think you wanted to add something. Well, this is my, this is my question. The context of this was, uh, Hassan and I went to a Knicks Wizards game, maybe December twenty third, a couple of days before Christmas, and and obviously John Wall is not playing. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was suspended, so with the exception of Bradley Beal, the Wizards team and we all follow. Everyone at this table follows the NBA pretty closely. Sure, the Wizards team was completely anonymous. Like it wasn't. Yeah. it wasn't players like oh I remember them from college and I didn't realize they were in the NBA. It was guys who've never seen their face, never seen their name, anything like that. And the thing that I was sort of interested in, and we were talking about this a little bit at the game, is like, think about all these great sort of collegiate players who never make it to the pros because it's just too tough. It's just the pros are just a different level. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, where do these guys come from? To, To me, what I found the most interesting about that is also the spread of talent. Because we're roughly the same age. And do you remember like growing up when you played NBA Jam and you picked the two Every team you could identify the two characters that are on each team. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, Charlotte, it's going to be Muggsy Bogues and Larry Johnson or Muggsy right. Bogues and Alonzo Moore. They were actual like tentpole players. And everybody's so transient now, you kind of don't know who's on who, who. Who's on who. People don't know that I play for the New Orleans Pelicans. No. They really don't. I was actually. Do you feel bad for young kids who tell, like, I, do you remember your first champion jersey that you had your parents buy? Remember yeah, like the you, starter jacket? Yeah, starter jacket. yeah. It, it was actually a Charlotte Hornets starter exactly, jacket. Exactly, yeah. which was like the shit yeah. in the 90s. I was on basketball reference. I'm, I've been doing a deep dive on the 90s Bulls lately, like uh-huh. watching old YouTube clips. <laughs> okay. And I was looking at their roster and like everyone on their roster was between the ages of like 26 and 34. And then for context, I looked at my own roster right. on the Pelicans. Yeah. And everybody's like under 25 with the exception of like four guys. And I feel like oh, that's wow. all across the league, right? And I think that's part of the reason. How old are you? 30? 35. 35. Yeah, yeah. I oh, think wow. that's that's just part of the reason you're seeing more and more guys that maybe you, did, you don't recognize as much. Like, truthfully, I had no idea at the start of the season who Duncan Robinson was. I was like, I was waiting for you to bring him up. And he the great is story amazing. really good. He's really amazing. good. <laughs> is he the first? Did he go to? He went he to, to Williams. He went did to he Williams. go to Exeter before I think that? He went though? to Exeter, and then he definitely went to private Williams. school kid who goes Division three. But isn't Exeter one of like the most prestigious private schools in the country? Like yeah, the most yeah. number of presidents yeah, have gone like, to Exeter. And not for like their that. basketball. They're not known for their basketball yeah, yeah, team. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Mark Zuckerberg went to Exeter. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. And Williams actually went to Williams for the first time in uh-huh. the summer. I had no, no idea. It's the size of, it's a postage stamp. I mean, it's like, I could make the basketball team at Williams. If <laughs> yeah, I isn't it just if you're, if you're over 6'6 six, six <laughs> yeah. and you not have even, some coordination, you, you just can play that, basketball? What do you mean it's that small? Like it's a... Smaller than some public it's high schools? The tiniest school. Yeah, it's ways. It's school is smaller than some public It's like high 1,900 schools. students. Yeah, totally. It is wild. absolutely the case. It would be harder to, to make varsity at, at many high schools in the United States than it would be at Williams. Yeah, and he's good. And he's good. He's really good. Great. He's like actually legitimately like, I, what, there's some stat. You're also on this list. Oh, effective field goal percentage. Yeah, and there's only like four more, guys yeah. in the league that are on it. And he's, yeah. as a rookie. It's, it's like me, Joe Harris, him. There's one other guy. How do you feel about those numbers when that's a new thing, PER and all that stuff? Like, 
PER is very misleading. Yeah. Um, is it the same way comedians feel about Twitter? <laughs> like you know, in terms of followers, just, just, engagements. Yeah, yeah. And like people who have hot takes, people who are quote unquote funny on yeah. Twitter, like that sort of thing. You mean, wait, yeah. comedians don't think that being funny on Twitter is the same thing as it's being It's not the same thing as being funny on stage at all. Yeah. No, Period. Yeah. 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 Twitter's its own micro universe. Yeah. It's its own like thing. It's like saying- And like, there are very few examples of people that have actually transitioned- comedically from Twitter to real life, life performance. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Jesus and Miro did it kind of, but they're, yes. they're very, they're just an exception to the rule because they don't claim to be standups. Right. They just talk yeah. shit. Yeah. So that's just, they're just good at talking shit. Yeah. Don't you, but wait, don't why you is it the, hard to tweet? Like it's a hard to tweet out something that's originally funny. Meaning like to tweet out a joke. Yeah. If you're responding to something with like a meme or a gif, that's yeah. different. It's yeah. a little easier to be the funny. Pro- the problem is, is the arms race now for the hot take. You'll because there's just so many people spitting out stuff at any given time, just the numbers of it, the chances are you probably have the same joke as somebody else. Yeah. Just just the way it's break. Like I had one literally that, you know, something funny happened. I had a quick take on it. And then a bunch of people were like, so-and-so just tweeted that. And you're like, oh, fuck. It was within like 18 minutes of each other. You know? It was like, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Whereas with stand-up or other live performance, the context of it, it's built into an hour. Like, yeah. it's very difficult then to, because what you're doing is the the setup punch of a tweet is very, like, tiny in comparison to a run, a stand-up run yeah. that you would actually do on stage. Is that part of why a lot of stand-ups are, are, not, are banning phones? Shows? Well, that's just so people don't leak your stuff. I can take a joke you're workshopping. Yeah, it's office. just you're, you're destroying works in progress. Yeah. yeah. You know, stand-up's the only medium that it requires an audience to get better at. Like, you can shoot jumpers alone. You can go to the weight room alone. Mm. You know, you, I have to start from ground zero in front of a crowd. So if, if you ever see even like the best comics after they've just put out an hour and they're building the new set, those first however many months back, it's rough. Like, yeah. which is the most humbling thing about the art form. Yeah. You build a sandcastle, it goes away and then you have to rebuild it again. And yeah. I mean, so, you get better and better at working within the bomb, but it's still painful. So he's off of Twitter and used to be off of all, you're, you're still off it, right? Do you recall there, Newport there, Digital there, Minimalism? There a burner in the mix. I did read it's that. It's a great book. So JJ for a while was <laughs> yeah, off of good. all social media. Yeah. And now he's back on Instagram. But why? What, what do you get? There were there were a couple of, of, of events that happened. Uh-huh. Um, uh, one, I got accused of being racist. Uh, oh, two, I got accused of um, harboring um, some sort of... Uh, Sex trafficking thing <laughs> or something. Uh-huh. This is the podcast. It was so ridiculous. No, yeah. it's so ridiculous. And then the third part, and probably more importantly, I, it'd been it'd been building for like a couple of years. Yeah. Like I don't really need this in my life. Yeah, there's just a lot of negativity and like the way the Twitter algorithm works. Sure. You know, you're just being fed the same stuff over and over again. And I I just lost interest. Um, but I am back on Instagram. Got the it. gram kind of it's a brought me back. Mike, yeah. you know what my Twitter cure is. There should be a function where, for a limited period of time, you can trade your entire f- Twitter feed for someone else's Twitter feed, right? So, so for a day, Malcolm Gladwell trades his Twitter feed with yeah. Laura Ingrams, so you get a whole different- I get all of her. I, I live in her universe, live in her universe, universe for a day. day. But she has oh, to live so, in my but universe. She, oh, it's but your, she can't tweet for you. She just can see no, what you're we can't So it's do, Twitter Freaky Friday. It's just, you just yeah. have to live in- So you know how it's, it, Twitter's famously an echo chamber. This is the way out of the echo chamber. And it wouldn't necessarily have to be with people who you disagree with. I actually would be delighted 
to live in your Twitter feed for a day. I think it would be hilarious. I would really enjoy myself. Okay, and you would find out, like, okay. my Twitter feed is track and field athletes, car guys, and some, like, wonky academics. You actually might get a kick out of it. Sure. You learn a lot about track. So it's Ian Bremmer and Jay Leno? Like it's just this interesting <laughs> no, it's, no, international it's, no, policy it's, wonk, dude who loves denim and cars. It's not, it's That's not Malcolm Leno. Gladwell's title. It's a lot. It's mostly the problem with runners is they don't tweet because you, they're- You know, they're, you know they're why- working on their craft. They're working on You know, I had to actually get out of it. I don't do it. I have- like our yeah. digital team does when you make it, it big. That's what yeah. happens. Oh, you're no, like, no, 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 no. I just wanted, I'm just too sensitive. <laughs> do you spend you more incidents? time on Twitter than you do on Instagram? No, I, no, I, I don't do Instagram. Instagram. Okay. I did it for like two months and then I somehow got locked out and it was like, eh, what's the point? Uh-huh. And then I tweet like, is Malcolm Gladwell a visual medium artist? No. Is that why? No, I don't care about it. I mean, I tweet like once every two weeks. I, I only really tweet about like my hatred of large college endowments. And my opposition. What's Harvard's endowment? It's like 50 billion, right? It's like insanely high, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something up there. So you don't, you don't tweet anymore, but do you think that what I'll do is, is our digital team, team, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe how fancy that is. No. And they get, but you guys get big numbers. Like you got to have, Malcolm, you got to have mental protection for this. This right here is my ACL. I got to protect this thing. Because, like, the thing, like, yeah. the amount of people that are attacking you, especially doing a, a political show, yeah. that, which in nature is very divisive, yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to fuck with your head. My, my Twitter feed is it's not gonna be people healthy. telling me how great I am. I don't, get, I don't, I don't see don't the get negativity. You don't negativity on your Twitter feed. I, no. You've wow. got negativity on my Twitter, on me. <laughs> I wasn't, so we had a thing, uh-huh. I'd say maybe uh, six months ago or so yeah. in New York, we had dinner with uh, Mayor Pete. Okay. And you were, remember you were going to come and you had to bail at the last minute. Uh-huh. And it so was, was working, me, right? Yeah. You were yeah. working unlike us. We it's don't the greatest lineup of all time, first of all. <laughs> so it was me, it was me, Jesus Amiro, Charlemagne, and this guy, PFT Commenter, who does a big, yeah. he knows. And, and Mayor Pete. Podcast, and Mayor Pete. Right? And Mayor Pete. It's and hilarious. It's the and photo. Tommy so, sends me the photo. No, so the next day, so <laughs> yeah. like my whole thing was like, we did it because I knew him a little bit and I knew Liz who works with him. Yes. And she wanted to have us meet with him. But like yes. the whole point was not for it to go public. Like nobody's uh-huh. endorsing him. It's not a thing that's People like- People are just hanging out and having- Yeah, dinner, they're right? just and talking, okay. da, da, da. There's not any real objective to it. Okay. The next day I see Malcolm. <laughs> we have we have lunch or something like that. We have coffee or lunch or something like that. And he just asked, like, what's going on? Like, what have you been up to in New York? And so I tell him, and then I tell him the list yes. of everything. And I and he's like, oh, my God, you, I, please tell me you took a picture. Uh-huh. And so, I'm, yeah, like, we took a picture, but so he's like, send so it to how, me. So, so how did this get leaked? Did Malcolm leak so it? Mal- I, I walk I out of the coffee shop, and Malcolm <laughs> goes onto Twitter and just says something, something along the lines of, like, just post the photo with no context. And he's like, this is why Mayor Pete has to be president or something like that. And so for the next like three days. You broke the code, Malcolm. You're not supposed and, to do and that. The, and the thing is, people on Twitter, the lefties on Twitter hate Mayor Pete. Like it's they almost do. like Trump. It's it's weird. Oh, right, right. It's weird. And so for the last, next three days, it's everything. It's like everything, like every personal insult about us, like these short, ugly men meeting with Mayor Pete. Do you want me to bring this back to our, our the New York Knicks game? This is, sure. the, so this, it, what he's describing yeah. It's been something that I've been trying to break down in my own head. So this this yelling that you see on Twitter in regards to, say, Mayor Pete, that being the case study, how much of that is intrinsically real versus not real? It's not real. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. How much of it of like, I can't stand Mayor? Are, yeah. are we talking about 5,000 loud vocal people? 
are we actually talking about a, a large contingency where tiny. it's like Michigan does not like Mayor Pete, Iowa does not. It's tiny. So tiny. that got me yeah. thinking. So I, my gut was the same thing. So I go, is can cancel culture on Twitter a yeah. real thing? No. Because when we were at the Knicks game, Ja Rule was sitting next to us. And I'm like, cancel culture definitively Wait, is not real. <laughs> this dude should be in prison for securities fraud. And we are dapping up he came at MSG. In, he came in midway through the second dude, quarter. There isn't like yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah. it's a great point. What is real? It's a great point. You know, what is real and what is not? And I think the new cognitive yeah. framework we have to have, Malcolm, make it a chapter. I'm just alley-ooping you this. I don't think it's real. What is real and no, what it's is not. not? It's like there's like five jackasses who spend all their day on Twitter saying nasty things. The, it's like you just have to get past that. I, I wish there was I, another app and that was just, it determined a certain digital threshold. Yeah. You exceed this threshold and then, oh, it is a real thing. But there has to be some sort of number, almost like uh, like there's a smog meter when they're like, oh, it's yeah, orange. air quality. So, so, yeah. 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 My, because, because it is, it has been real in a, in a few instances, right? An author or somebody says something and like, Yes, they do lose a job or something does happen. There is like an actual yeah. real world, we live in the world, change. Then there's just a bunch of stuff that's just, just like- crazy stuff. Yeah, people are mad that Justin Timberlake's performing at the Super Bowl. That was like a legit thing. Yeah. But it wasn't a thing. It wasn't. Here, there's two things to keep in mind. One is that a long-standing observation in any kind of uh, field that involves people's reactions is that um, people who- dislike something are obviously much more vocal than people who like it, right? You hear from the dislike. The second thing is, and this is the rule of thumb I always keep in mind, which is the number of people who dislike you are simply a linear function of the number of people who are aware of you. So if you are a writer, so suppose you write a book, you can, if you write a really good book, let's say 80% of the people who read your book like it. If you sell a hundred copies, that means you have 80 People who like you, who never say that they like you because people, and 20 people who hate you, but it's only 20. But the 20 people bought the book? They, they bought it, in. they hate it, so they tweet, I hate it. But there's only 20 of them. If uh -huh. you sell a million copies, you have 800,000 fans and 200,000 people who hate you. You have an entire small city who hates you. Wait. And so wait, you can so, go around. So wait, there's like, there's 10 million people on planet earth that hate JK Rowling. Sure. They're like, <laughs> I cannot stand absolutely, JK absolutely. Rowling. So when I go on Twitter that's and crazy. I see someone attack so one of my books, I say, oh, that's because I'm selling a shitload of books. This is fantastic. And the more critics I see, the my, I'm like, oh my God, my sales must be through the roof. That's all this means. No, right? but there yes. has to be a critical point where it goes, no, people are very, very upset, well, genuinely very upset. No, because most, if, you, if you're somebody who's in the public eye, it's very hard to be bad at what you do. So most people who are attracting a lot of attention in the public eye, they're, they're good. And most people, who, most people who read books on the bestseller list like the books on the bestseller list. Most people who go to comedy shows like the comic who's you know, is it, sure. So th this eighty twenty rule is now. The how does the president like work in this function? Because well, I would say roughly sixty percent of this country does not like it, but there's yes. this, there's a strong thirty five to forty in critical states that like love. Yeah, no, he, I think it's a separate. That's a okay. Separate that's a separate issue. case. Okay, got wait. It. While we're into, can I? I have to. Do you guys know? But I have to tell my favorite Twitter story along these lines, which involves the New Orleans Pelicans. Do you know this story? I, I read this on I Twitter. This is this the most story. amazing thing. Uh -huh. A woman who is like a. Uh, from a, uh, a very religious Jewish um, family, takes her son to a Pelicans game on Hanukkah. They're sitting in the stands. Oh, this is another story. Do you know the story? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And they and she oh, hears people behind her saying, Jew holiday, Jew holiday. She's like, Holy mackerel, this is so anti-Semitic. I can't believe we're here. She's turning to her son and her son's like, What are you talking about? She's like, they're saying Jew holiday. She's like, no, no, no. Oh well, she figures it out at the end. At the end of the, <laughs> yeah. the, end of the game, she goes home. She goes home and asks her husband, and he's like, "Oh, wait, oh I didn't yeah, that. I no, she literally this. left there, and she was like, <laughs> I just had this horrible experience with these people at this game.' Like, she tweeting. Was she tweeting right? stuff out? While no, no, she tweets after she figures out that uh, she yeah, was mistaken. Right. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it is so beautiful. But that's a that's another beautiful part of this, which is like. A lot of times when people get really, really... That's a hilarious example. I don't know that I actually believe that story. <laughs> I no. totally believe I it. I think that's something she made up and thought it would be... Because totally it would go viral. viral. I think people He was having a time. big game that night, apparently. It all tracks. It all tracks. <laughs> all right. <You> know? <laughs> what would have happened when you were in college? No, that's a good mom story. I, it checks oh, out for it. me. That's, that's a mom story. Interesting. Yeah. I was saying, what would happen when he was in college? Because, like, like, tell me if I'm wrong about this, but when you were in college, you were definitely the most hated athlete college America, athlete probably America, yeah. one of the most hated athletes probably in sports my, my sophomore year i had to change my cell phone number like 18 times that's not an exaggeration i uh, have no idea who keep kept leaking my cell phone number to maryland fans uh-huh. and so this was back before you could like set an alarm and leave your phone on silent yeah you used to have to like set an alarm and like leave your phone on and so i would just get calls throughout the night 2 a.m 3 a.m wow JJ, you suck. JJ, you're the Antichrist. You like, would actually pick stuff. up. You'd yeah. be like, hello, this is JJ. Why? Right? Well, I had to stop the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Three o'clock, it could be Coach K. Maybe it was a booty call. I don't know. <laughs> well, you didn't figure out why. You were the JJ right? Was it just true. Duke? I, mean, no, would I think you, I, I was a, I was a smug, arrogant asshole. But I mean, there, did, and I played for Duke. I thought yeah. it was the, and the yeah. gel, and there was a lot of, a lot of that stuff. Did I wear gel? Was it how was your hair always the overall wet? look? It always looked wet. I, I kind of had like more like a, I don't know. Uh, okay. I think that the, I think that spiked. Yeah. It's spiked. Well, ha, like, has what, there, was the, what was the the yellow the yellow can? Uh, you get it at Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's for a dollar. It might be spiked. Uh, L- LA looks. No, it was it was after. <laughs> has there been a college player since then? Because yeah. Grayson had it a little bit, but it wasn't the same. No, not you know, Grayson same was like l- legitimately like kicking people. Yeah, he like, was doing <laughs> things that deserved. Scorn. Like I, on the other hand, I just felt like I was getting buckets and then just like talking shit, which is yeah. like normal for a 19 yeah. year old do. Yeah. yeah. And you know, whatever. If if Twitter was around, I would probably have. would not have had an account. Yeah. I I don't know if I you're like a 19 year old psyche. It's just. Well, that's what we so we we did one of these last week with Zion, and he's super just composed for somebody who's that age, and like basically got to be crazy famous when he was like 15 years old. Yeah. And it's kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing that like he's like, I feel it's the same thing with LeBron now and LeBron's been doing it for years, but like think about like all of the challenges that like a normal 15 year old has. And then you're that age and you have 7 million Instagram followers and everywhere you go, you have this and this. it's like people challenge, people struggle with that when they're 40. The idea of having that when you're that age is is crazy, but I think it's only getting worse. I mean, it's only getting worse. Like the high school well, kids it's now, or good if, if yeah. you want followers. But like we t- we mentioned overtime. Overtime's a like a media company. Uh-huh. They're actually based in in my neighborhood, uh, in in Brooklyn. But th- like they have. They hype these high school kids up, you know. That's right. they show highlight tapes. They're like hoop mixtapes. Yeah, exactly. Ball like is life, like all those things. Um, and these high school kids, they're you know, they're 16, 15 years old, and they've got six hundred and seventy five thousand followers. And like, I do, yeah. I yeah. do wonder. Like, they've got that following. They have this whole, you know, 
echo chamber, right, of people telling them that they're so great and then they have to go to college for a year or they go to the NBA and they're in a locker room and some truth comes out, like there's going to be some negative effects yeah, to that for sure. But this is my question. I was going to ask this when we were talking about the anonymous players and we were talking about this at the game a couple of weeks ago. When you actually look right now at a lot of the best, if you like were to rank the top 15 players in the NBA right now, I'd say probably at least seven or eight of them, if not more, came were not big recruits and came from small schools. So if you go to them, it's like Kawhi, Paul George, John Morant, rookie now, Steph, Clay Thompson, okay. Duncan Luka, Robinson, Luka, Duncan Robinson. <laughs> but like, so there's there's actually not a there are more in the top 15 who are from who are not big recruits and were not big in high school or even necessarily in college yeah. than like the blue blood. <laughs> Recruits. And, and so is that going to – doesn't that seem like that this is going to come to a head at a certain point where you're going to have some real – almost like there are all these tragic cases when guys were coming out at a high school and they weren't ready where they're getting too famous, too young, and they can't actually play. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think this is anything new. I mean, if you go back to like my high school class, guys like D'Angelo Collins or Lenny Cook, these guys were like really hyped coming out of high school. I think I, I I spoke to the Duke team a few years ago and like I used this these sort of examples, but like when you are 15 and you appear on a top 50 list yeah. or, um, you know, you get a McDonald's, you, you get nominated for the McDonald's All-American game or, you know, you see yourself on a mock draft if you're a freshman in college. Like there's this sort of natural human tendency to feel like you have made it. Yeah. You know, and I think the people that ultimately survive and thrive are the people that never have a sense of satisfaction from any of that. There's a there's a way to separate what's real and what's not real. If that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you know we we maybe talked about this uh, the first time you came on the pod, but just like you know, for for a comedian, sort of the hunger that you yeah, have. To have yeah, you, know? you always have to the the guys and gals that I really look up to are the ones that have such a. Um, hunger for prolificness it's never been about the ebbs and flows of fame of show business and the ones that really really have real careers you know like your john mulaney's your jim gaffigan's your colin quinn's like these guys that have been around for a long time Mm -hmm. you look at their body of work and you know that's when you start seeing carlin had 18 specials and stuff like that they're just they're prolific he had 18 specials i mean it's like right because he was working well into it yeah i mean or like you know look at like Chappelle's legacy right now within the past two Mm. years he's put out not even he's put out five hours of material I mean that's insane yeah and for it to be really you know say what you will about the content but it's really up there you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. that's but people like that just love it they just genuinely love it did you watch it that's my I did I I watched the uh the uh Kennedy Center Mark Twain Prize. That was great. Thing yeah. it was kind of it was kind of great. It was yeah. just you just you just reminded how insanely beloved he is by his Correct. peers, which is always kind of lovely to see. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to the uh, Good Old Boys. One of their was what season from Virginia Three was it? Was it this past season? Uh, this past season, I think. Yes, yeah, season. Four. So this episode, and, and I'm going to just sort of give the brief, very brief description of it. But the overall question, which is sort of asked in it. Uh, is when is it okay to sort of give somebody a platform versus not? And it's in reference to Lester Maddox, who was the governor of Alabama in late 60s? Of, uh, of Georgia. Of Georgia, of Georgia in the late 60s, early you 70s. specifically to interview somebody, like to actually put them yes. on the news or put them on the Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, like, I'm sort of curious what you guys all think about that, about 
especially now, and this kind of bleeds into the Twitter question a little bit, but just where we are as sort of a society about at what point, at what point are, are you, is your cosign more harmful than good? Yeah. It's interesting, man. I, I've seen two different case studies unfold, which had very different results. So when I was at The Daily Show, this is before the 2016 election, um, when we were sitting down with, you know, people at the Republican National Convention, the Democratic National Convention, Ronnie Chang, I think, shot a field piece uh, with Richard Spencer, who's a white nationalist and v- like a very famous provocateur. Duke, yeah. Duke graduate. Duke graduate. <laughs> Duke. <laughs> for, really? the, for, the, for the record. Yeah. But he really is a Duke graduate. But as we got closer and closer to- yeah, Are you sure about that? Yeah. 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 Stephen Miller is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, you have Stephen Miller as <laughs> yeah, well? Yeah. He was in school when I was in school. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> I remember reading his articles in the Chronicle and being like, yeah, who whoa. the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> Out there, yeah. But anyways, as we got closer to air- Trevor and the showrunner Steve Bodo at the time, you know, just said like, I don't think this is wise. And I do think this person is just saying this stuff to kind of have a hot take and for it to go viral. The show's being used more than us having like a positive conversation or discourse. I'll give you another example. Most recently, Andrew Yang, who started off very much as an underdog, still currently is an underdog, but has started to gain steam. Because he wasn't getting a lot of attention from mainstream media outlets, he was doing a lot of right wing uh and and sort of conservative talk shows and and podcasts and doing incredibly well when you look at like the comments they're actually incredibly healthy and positive and and so i i actually don't really have an answer on this because i've seen two different case studies where someone has crossed over quote unquote to the other side and one example is positive and one example could have been very negative so i think it's just a case by case i think the i think i i don't think there is a general rule i think you have to evaluate you have to ask the question, am I, is this someone who um, is going to use this particular platform to enhance their, what is, you know, some nefarious end? Or is this someone who is um, going to use this, is, where, where the usefulness of this platform is the audience learning about this particular character in a way that they may not have? So if you think that it's, if you think you're just going to give someone airtime to make them even more notorious... No, but I I know in my experiences with field pieces, there was, I very quickly realized who's a good faith actor and who's putting on a performance. But what about so pretty quick? There was was a lot of, so with Patriot Act, for example, MBS, that's a guy that's also a world leader. So those are, those are things that you have to reckon with, right? You, when you're dealing with an autocratic regime, that's an absolute monarchy. At the end of the day, say what you will. That is the head of a nation. So their opinion and viewpoint is incredibly valuable. And look, anybody who I've had on the show, you know, I've been been happy to say we haven't really pulled any punches. You know, when we sat down with Prime Minister Trudeau, I was very candid with him about everything. Yeah. You know, and it's it, my prime minister. You know, I'm Canadian. Yeah. You were nasty to have you seen this? I don't think oh, I was nasty. Don't, but on. I think, but I think I was, what I did is I just asked the questions and the stuff that a lot of stuff that was kind of appearing in the discourse. Like I just wanted to be as real. I can't and believe authentic. you didn't see this. This was, Wait, this is, this. the this rule, was the, the rule I've always governed every interview with yeah. is be as real as you are on the WhatsApp thread. Yeah. Yeah. You know how we all have WhatsApp thread, threads with like our home, be as real as iMessage. Yeah. Like we all have the text messages thread with our friends from high school and college where we're really who we are. Yeah. And my goal on the show is to be as real as that. Don't be disrespectful. Don't be rude. Yeah. But Wait, how, be did, real. Did be he, how did he do? Did he hold his own? Yeah. And he didn't. I've been in interviews where they they pull the mic and they walk out or, yeah. you know, you'll have the advisor come in and go, last question. Yeah. He, he sat down for the full amount of time and 
Yeah. If I swung, he swung back. Well, no matter what he does. To give him credit, he was he was incredibly scrappy and he was very much present and in the moment. Yeah. I'll, I'll give him credit. I've sat down with a lot of politicians and a lot of them, when, you, when the blitz comes, they'll immediately call audible and they'll go into talking point mode. There, there he, is, was, he was very much- in Keep in mind, there is nothing he can do that will make him more newsworthy or notorious than his own father and mother. His mother had an affair. You're talking about Pierre Trudeau, right? His mother had an while married to his father, had an affair with Mick Jagger. Mm. While, is, this, is this alleged or is yeah, this it's true? It's so true. <laughs> while, oh, come on. Now go. Don't do that. Come on. Get the podcast soon. So this is an example. In, Tommy, this is an example of something I would not do if I'm sitting down with Prime Minister. <laughs> 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 no, my point is, not, is that's not like a good faith. Oh, Rolling Stones. If my parents had conducted themselves as his parents did in the 1970s, I would be impervious. I would be like, dude, say what you want. I am a, I am small fry compared to what my parents were up to. His, mo- his mother was dancing at Studio 54 the, in the, at the apex of coked up Studio 54 days while she was married to the Prime Minister of Canada. She was like off by herself, partying. I mean, like that's what- Twitter, right? Yeah, this is the pre-social media. It's a whole different world. Media. That's yeah. what he was raised in. There's no way uh, he's going to get shaken yeah. by. Speaking of 90s basketball, how pumped are you to see The Last Dance? The Last The Jordan Dance. The Jordan Dance. Oh, the uh, Jordan. yeah, it's amazing. It's crazy. You've already seen it? No, I, I'm uh, so excited. I watched I, the first hour of it yesterday. That's what got me on the- um, so you, you I watched, said, I watched you a cut of it. YouTube, YouTube dive. Yeah, it's insane. Dude, I'm ready to put, put me in a diaper. I want to see all it's 10 an, hours. It's, in, it's 10 hours, so they're doing, it's coming out. Actually, Adam Silver at the time was the head of NBA Entertainment. Yeah. And so he and Clay Thompson's uncle, do you know that guy who works for the NBA? No. Clay Thompson's uncle works for the NBA and works something for an in, 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 in entertainment. They made this sort of brilliant call right before the season started in 98 to stick cameras with the team the whole time. And so they had 200 hours of footage that's never been seen before. Basically, that's like the basis for the doc. And they turned that into basically that. Plus interviews. It, plus the story of Jordan. So it goes throughout his entire career, his life. It doesn't do everything. They don't They don't get to some of the stuff at the end, but everything with him on the Bulls. Yeah. And it debunks a bunch of conspiracy theories and everything like that. And uh-huh. uh, I thought you were asking me about Julia Stiles' movie that saved the last day. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me off yeah, guard. You've seen that. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about that. Actually, it's been we'll be showing the Julia Stiles movie on off days. That's counter, counter-programming. <laughs> Wait, what conspiracy theories surround the Bulls of the, the 90s? The flu game was never a flu game. He was drunk. Flu game. That's a classic one. Oh, I mean, but it's... But the, they debunk that? The, Wait, base, the playing baseball? You, five minutes ago, you oh, were rolling your around. eyes around my, my well researched observation about maybe Justin Trudeau's mother. And now you're telling me the flu game, you know he was what? actually I'm, drunk. I'm a little old school. <laughs> Talking about someone's mom and stuff like that is a little, sometimes I get a little. Like, His I mother was a legend. Rocco doesn't care. To a Canadian. Gotcha. But no, wait, this is, you're, you're levying quite a serious accusation here that the flu game was, I'm levying. There's you're, worse accusations just, to be made. There's a lot worse to yeah. be made. This is one of the most iconic basketball games of the last 50 years. Yeah. But the accusation is just that he didn't have the flu, that he was hungover. I know, but the, yeah. the, the whole heroic thing is that he was laid low via virus, took himself off his hospital bed or whatever the hell he was, and goes out and scores. What did he score? Some 50, 50, but now you're saying he was just wasted. I mean, a lot of 30, 30, 30. I mean, this is not. Just I like, think it's I'm still. Not, not but I think it's just as impressive if he was hungover. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's hungover than, now that's a great. See, that's a great comedic take. Now you'd yeah. flush that out into a run. You wouldn't tweet that. You would yeah. do yeah. that as a whole run. Yeah. I don't think it's. I think it's. I think it becomes um, morally a little muddy now. I do think. I do think. I mean, this is just like a comedic take, but I do think like we need to fact start factoring that in. Like 
say what you will, his yeah. ability to be able to run without sleep like that and perform at that level while, you know, did you yeah. see the, the gambling Ronick, was the, the Ronick story? Yeah. The Ronick story? I heard about, about this. I didn't, I didn't playing see Playing golf the day of the game, drinking uh-huh. beers. Oh. And then him going, and then he had like 45 on the this, calves that night. Um, <laughs> I've heard the, I've heard like the, the dream team stuff. Like he would yeah. not sleep. But this is the, but this is the, this is another thing, the pre-social media because he was by all accounts yeah casino till 5 a.m night before games maybe not before the nba finals yeah and then he would go play golf and then he would go and score 60 points yeah but that couldn't imagine if that happened once now but just one time he would get destroyed someone told me a story about him and barkley the other day and this is a story i believe because the person was with them and it was the day before like a day game in Phoenix, uh-huh. um, and the two of them basically went shot for shot at some place in Scottsdale, That's and then they insane. each had like forty five and ten the next day. That's crazy. <laughs> and it was like a, it was like remember the NBC game? Yeah, in the nineties. And yeah. they just it was it was like the one o'clock NBC game. Well, do, does, do, do we that, think they do, do? Do we think that you know how they have the combine right where they're yeah. like vertical jump, bench yeah. press, squat? They should be in the. They combine. should be like alcohol tolerance. <laughs> yeah, like their ability to like shoot threes and free throws like while incredibly hammered. But the, and then that'll just kind of determine the how. Is, Absent that drinking the, the day before, do we think they do better or worse? Like this is the crucial question: Is he someone who there's a there's a con, there's a concept in psychology called desirable difficulty, mm-hmm. which is the idea that sometimes people who are very good at something perform even better when you introduce some element like being slightly of, inebriated or or just some something to make it a little more difficult actually brings out the best in them. This this could be desirable difficulty. He could have needed the impediment, the mild impediment of a hangover. Look, I know comics that are like a little that you know that need a little bit of something to yeah. perform. But I, I mean, I don't know, like if that's a real. I, does, real the, thing. the impediment doesn't have to be substance, right? Like no, it can be, it can be of any anything. kind. I I, yeah. I think that's what a would very valid like? thing, and yeah. I would say in my own life, I can attest to that for yeah. sure. It can sure. it can force you to concentrate in yeah. a way you would never have yeah. concentrated. Like it's very hard to believe. Okay, let's suppose let's suppose he <laughs> he's just sleeping in his hotel room the day before. Right. Do we really suppose he would have had it up an even better game the next day? It's hard to believe he could do better than forty five. You mean like rested and, and hydrated? Yeah, rested and hydrated. He's like, is, do you really think he would have scored sixty? I mean, he did do sixty nine on the Caps, right? So I mean, he is very he's he's very good at basketball, Malcolm. I don't know if you know that, <laughs> but it is. But there is a question because <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah. this the doc aside, and I, I think the doc gets into this a lot, but it's just been re- he said it publicly, and it's been written about him a ton about how he he very early on in his career, I think, starting at Carolina, would basically put these chips on his shoulder, and a lot of times they were imaginary, so it'd be a thing where it'd be like you didn't shake his hand or you shook his hand too late once or something like that. And so he would be like, fuck JJ forever. You, you're racist. Like, like things like that just to get him mad. So maybe Did this is. Did you get a chance to play against him when he was on the Wizards? Did you get a chance to actually play against Michael? No, I was a senior in high school. Oh, yeah. Uh, to, to your point, uh, I was reading something. This was again on my, on my YouTube uh, deep dive on Bulls clips in like 1998. Um, a few days before they played in the garden, Jeff Van Gundy, the Knicks coach, called MJ a con artist. Oh yeah. You remember yeah, this. Really. He's, I, I didn't I didn't have any recollection. He befriends plays, takes him out for dinner, makes him seem nice, then he goes and yeah. kills him on the court. Yeah, but I believe and so that, that I do night believe that hot take. he had, he had 51 take. at the garden and was cursing out Jeff Van Gundy <laughs> after every play. Jeff Van Gundy's a real one. I lo- he didn't back down after yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah, I, the, I read the New York Times article. He was like, no, no, yeah, no, yeah. I stand by what when I you, said. When you see the way he hung on to Alonzo Mourning's leg during that brawl, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know Jeff Van Gundy's a real he's one. For real. He's what a, do you, for real. What do you think, how do you think your game would have been different if you were playing in that era? 
I just it just spot up waiting on the double team spot up. But you would like it's a different game. Would you like? Would you have been? Fight, would you like, be fighting people more? Like Ooh, it just seems like it's yeah. a different. It was yeah. the energy was different. Everyone's friendly now. Are you yeah. still playing at 35, 20 years ago? Uh, probably not. You're more modern science. To- pretty good. Yeah. Like what we know about recovery. Pretty good. Um, the the thing that is different now though is like. <clears throat> The way we have to move in space mm. is a little different. You know, that we have to cover more ground. When you watch, so old like games. I like I watch old games, yeah. and I'm first of all the defensive schemes make zero sense. Like I watched Jordan's uh, fifty-five point game in the finals and against Phoenix, uh-huh. and they were literally just opening up, and they had Tom Chambers at the rim, and he would just stand there like this, and Jordan would jump, you know, jump over him or whatever. So that's the one thing I, th- I think. The defense was different. Science. Um, but I think, like... What, what about the raw athleticism? I, it's better now. I mean, like, when I see... It's that's better just my just get, yeah. guess, and I don't know if it's 1080p, but when I see Russell Westbrook take oh my off, God. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah, This dude hit the turbo button always. Yeah. It's like he's like, circle, 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 always. And you can't, R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-R-
able to have able to do this into their forties or Vince Carter. I mean, it's I worry. Tom Brady is the one I worry about because the one he can he can keep every part of his body healthier except his brain. I worry that he's going to be in a he's going to be impaired in some way neurologically yeah. fifteen years from now. Does how many take, concussions? Does he take is that, that many hits though? He doesn't get killed, right? I mean, there's how can you QBs, not? If you, it's a there's certain QBs that get killed, he's got it. He's always had he's great been protection. playing. He's yeah, been playing true. organized football now yeah, for you know he's forty two, probably since he was ten. Yeah. So for thirty two years, he has been had his had his, and it's not just. I mean, remember the it's not the number of concussions because concussions are not the problem. It's the sub concussive impact that's the problem. So and it's it's a there's a wonderful bit of research that just looked at. Um, the correlation between CTE and the amount of years of football that you have played. Attack, and it's a straightforward linear correlation. The more years you play, the greater your chance of coming down with CTE. So, like, I don't care how many hits he's taken. He's played for 32 years, yeah. right? You're at this point. Did you play football growing up? No, I wasn't allowed to. Oh, really? Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. Did you? No. I should play at USC. I played a little. Okay. Really? Yeah, I was okay. I wasn't very good. <laughs> All right. We, we have to, we have a hard out here, so okay. we're going to finish up. Guys, thank you for coming on the podcast. Really That's appreciate fine. it. Great conversation. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks to our guests, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and Hassan Minhaj, uh, for coming on the show today. We had a lot of fun with them. We will be back very soon with another episode. Who's our next guest? Do you have our next guest? Uh, some of the untitled players from the Utah Jazz. Untitled players from the Utah Jazz. Uh, if Joe Ingles has any stones, he will come on the show and answer to me. We'll be back very soon with another episode. Thank you guys for listening.